Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at huntworthgear.com. My name is Adam Miller, and I am the host of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, where our goal is always to inspire you to level up your hunting, no matter if that's your first buck, your first deer, your first out-of-state trip. We're here to show you that you can do it DIY style, whatever your budget. You can go out there and have some fun and enjoy archery and bow hunting. So this week's podcast, we're going to talk just about some of that sort of stuff, Uh, small property management with 
Jared Van Heese from the Habitat Podcast. And, you know, some of you guys are like, I only hunt public land. I only saddle hunt. I only listen to you guys for the giveaways. Um, any of that stuff. This podcast is basically coming at it from what can we do on our four acres, five acres, ten acres? Where's the best use of our time to improve our properties? And I know that's not going to resonate with everybody, but everybody has that little five acre piece of private that they've got access to and maybe they can mess around on and don't know if it's worth it. So I think this podcast is going to be great uh, for that. Uh, A little bit of housekeeping. So I am going to be going up to the event. That event is live. You can go to the Deer Hunter podcast and uh, we're going to be speaking live podcast style, barbecue lunch, free beer, uh, all of that stuff up in Mayo, Michigan. And that's going to be March 18th. Going to be a really cool event. Going to have some fun. Um, So you guys can go check that out. Uh, Like I say, the Deer Hunter podcast, he's got the link. I'll put a link in the description to this podcast as well. Got to give a shout out to our sponsors, our partners. And we got some new ones added. Um, You know, as always, Huntworth. um, Love their stuff. Really love. I mean, I just messaged Karen and I'm like, look, I pretty much have every piece of gear uh, that I would ever possibly need. And, uh, so I just got some more of their like lifestyle clothing. They're actually wearing one of their hoodies right now. Um, really, really like their technical clothing, especially the hoodies. Um, but we don't partner with companies that don't do giveaways to our Patreons because like I said, I've got too much stuff as it is. Uh, so I want to be able to support those guys that support us. I'm still waiting to hear back from Drew Servalish, Mark Lamson, Cody Poshton, and Marcus McElroy uh, from the last quarter winners. So I'll give you another week. Got to get a hold of me so I can figure out what you need, what your sizing is, and we'll get that stuff set out. Um, so we're going to have a, a package from Huntworth to give away. Picked up a new sponsor. Uh, you guys. Uh, have been beating down the door for the Zinger guys. We've been doing our jobs, but now they're making arrows. So Kanadi Arrows, follow those guys on Instagram, follow them on social, go back and listen to the podcast we did with them. And they're going to be giving away uh, a dozen arrows each quarter to one of our Patreons. So we'll, you'll send them your specs and uh, they'll get you a set of arrows. So uh, another sponsor that we picked up is Big Shot Target. So I told you that I'd talked to Brandon at the show um, and uh, Greg Litzinger. Greg's going to be coming up and shooting with us again at TAC. So uh, if you're at the going to be at the Michigan TAC, um, come say hi to Greg. And, uh, you know, we usually do a barbecue unsanctioned. So whatever happens at the barbecue, uh, we are not responsible for. So that's, that's on you guys. We just uh, like to have a good time. But um, Big Shot Target's Greg swears by them, and uh, they're going to partner with us this year. They're going to be giving away targets uh, for you guys. We'll have a podcast with them coming up uh, talking about that. Lucky Buck is back on board. Uh, Looking forward to putting that mineral back up at the UP property. Um, And then Spartan Forge, uh, you know, artificial intelligence for the deer woods. Incredible, incredible mapping. And they just keep going further and further with the AI uh, for the deer woods predictive deer movement letting you know uh those peak rut times those uh weather patterns when the deer are moving when to be in the woods check them out at spartanforge.ai and you can use code bowhunter to save 25 percent there um and 
likely in the next week or so or before the next quarter we're going to have another uh partner on board we're we're working out the details right now uh but you guys aren't going to want to miss this one and like i said that's all for our patreons that's all for you guys that's all to give back to the people who support us you can check that out at patreon.com um forward slash bowhunter chronicles podcast or just click the links on our instagram but those guys that i mentioned i gotta get a hold of you we gotta get this taken care of get it off of my plate so i can give away more stuff uh so get a hold of me but this podcast i know you guys with the small properties trying to dabble in land management don't want to go through all the stuff with food plots and all of that stuff um certainly gonna enjoy this podcast let us know what you think give us your feedback check it out as always thanks for listening Hey everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Uh, once again, uh, co-hostless, uh, John is back. He's now got COVID, so he's uh, he's at home recovering. And uh, it's just, when he comes back, it's going to be like, we're going to have two months of things to catch up on. So uh, it's going to be very interesting. But, you know, as we go uh, into this time of the year, uh, you try and think about like, you know, Everybody's moving into like turkey season. Guys that don't turkey hunt are like, well, I can shoot my bow. I got these honeydew lists uh, or or other things, shed hunting. And one of the things that I always think about that I try to do that I say, okay, this is what we're going to do this year. This is how we're going to uh, approach this year is, is some habitat improvements. Like what can we do? And when it comes to, to small properties – and I know that it's not uh, all that he does, but, you know, Jared Van Hees, the Habitat Podcast, is the guy that I always look at as setting a an example of what you can do with a small property. Like, you don't have to have 100 acres, you know. He, he bought a property specifically for deer hunting and put a lot of thought and research. We've got a whole podcast on that. Um, but so I wanted to bring Jared back on because of this time of year and, and try and think about the best like bang for your buck type stuff you can do to improve your properties. So uh, Jared, how are you doing tonight? Good, Adam. Good. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me back on. And uh, yeah, sorry to, sorry to miss John once again. I, I know how it is to try to schedule podcast with a, a co-host another guest and and everybody's busy lives these days so hopefully catch up with him soon but yeah glad to be back thank you very much and you know coming off the heels of your your last uh guest appearance on the wire to hunt i just thank you for coming down off of your high horse for for us uh lowly uh you know regular dude podcast yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, very blessed. Mark Kenyon uh, had me on episode six twenty nine, and uh, I didn't, I didn't botch it. So I'm very happy about that. Um, no, man, you, I've been friends with you for a long time, ever since the old ATA show where I met you. You're not ATA. I'm sorry, the um, the Boyne Mountain shoot. Oh gosh. yeah, yeah. Total um, Archer Challenge. TAC. There it is. And yeah, good to be back, and uh, good to see you again, my friend. So. Uh, for everybody, I, and I don't know that I was following along that closely. How did your season go uh, this year? Yeah, so I got I had a great season um, last year. I had a phenomenal season, and, and my goal this year, as we talked about in your podcast, and my goal this year was to have some fun, get my kids out, um, hunt up north a little more, 
And uh, I did all that. I hunted with my kids a lot. So that was kind of something new. You know, I have three kids, eight, eight, and four. And it's always been when I go hunting, leave the wife with the kids, right? And But now they're getting a little older. She's like, take them, take them, take them. And I love doing it. But I think it might have cost me maybe an opportunity to mature buck or two. Uh, that's okay. We shot... My son and I, he's four. We shot three does together, and I shot one other doe as well. So, freezer's full. Um, I had some nice opportunities on my trail cameras in late October on the 15 acres. I was at work. Or I work for a, another company who doesn't have a lot of hunters that work there. So, our sales meeting is in late October, a week-long sales meeting, and it's like, it's painful, but I was getting texts during these dinners and whatnot where I needed to be in the stand, and I I missed out on a couple of good opportunities. But overall, brought all my kids out multiple times, freezer full of venison, and um, yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. The weather was a little weird this year. A lot of east winds, a lot of south winds, and uh, it was just kind of you know a little bit of a of a turn, but had a good time. Yeah, temperatures and those those east winds. I mean, the opening day with like a 15, 20 mile an hour east wind here where I was at was just strange, just totally sure. strange. Um, what over the since the last time we talked or going into this season, um, what improvements did you make on your property and how did those affect the, the deer hunting? Yeah, so I've gone into some better food. Um, I put in some more diverse food plots, changed the game a little bit from the, the regular clover, brassica type game, and went into a very diverse food plot mix. Um, that was new. Um, other than that, letting the, the brush and the cover get to a mature height, that was new. Um, adding some extra screening material was also new along the edges and just hunting smart. Um the 15 acres I've been working on for so many years that it's pretty dialed in now in terms of my square footage that, that I really have to work with yet, but um, it, it was fun. So on the, the screening and letting that brush grow up and, and all that, that kind of, I have to imagine, goes into like what I want to talk about today is like maybe some of the things that you can do that are like low cost, big impact, things that don't take a, a whole lot of tools or, or whatever, but that can make like a serious impact on, on your deer hunting. You know, everybody, I guess when you think of, I guess when I think of habitat management, you know, that's the food plot guy, that's the tractor, that's these big, uh, to me, intimidating, like controlled burns, that's hinge cutting. And I think for 99% of the people, when they say habitat work, like that's it, right? So that brush, like what were you doing with that? And then along the, 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 you know, the theme of the podcast, what are some other things that we can do that are big impact, but maybe low dollar or uh, things where guys are just, they're not ready or they don't have the equipment to go and just, okay, I'm going to put in a food plot because it's not always the answer, right? Correct. It seems to be the answer or the first thing that comes to mind every time you talk about habitat work. Sorry, food plots, right? That's the big sexy thing to, to put in. Um, it attracts deer. It looks cool. You feel like a farmer. I love doing it. I, I get it. The bang for your buck uh, is there with that. 
But this time of year, you know, it's, it's wintertime. We're not, we're not planting food plots right now. To answer your question, what I did with that certain screening area, I was adding some switchgrass, which is a type of, it's a warm season grass that grows, you know, five to eight foot tall. I add that about two years ago and I was maintaining that and taking care of that to, to get it to a tall enough height where deer can't see through it. And what that does is it hides me. Uh, excuse me. A lot of, a lot of my access routes and, and thought process on a property like 15 acres is to hide me and to keep me hidden, my scent gone, pretty much act like you're not there type thing. The smaller the property, the more detailed you need to be with pressure. So the switchgrass was to hide me, to hide my access to a blind, etc. I didn't have to use a lot of equipment to plant that. I don't have a ton of equipment. Um, you don't need a ton of equipment to do anything we talk about on a weekly basis. If you do have equipment, it just makes life easier, right? The right tools for a job is always easier, but a lot of a lot of money in in a tractor and, and things these days, especially for COVID. But so I was working on something that involved a backpack sprayer and a, a seed broadcaster you throw over your shoulder. So I sprayed this area down with Roundup or, or glyphosate as, as a regular the chemical name for it. And then just frost seeded the seed in switchgrass. And and what the the frost does in the springtime when the ground is freezing and thawing, freezes overnight, thaws throughout the afternoon, that breaks the ground back and forth, open and close, and the seed plants itself, if you will. Um, it It's very effective. And it's all you have to have or, or something that you can carry in your hand. So that was the project I worked on this past year or year and two years to get that established. As far as what we should be doing right now in general, there's a multitude of things. Um, you know, it's it's February right now. I'm not sure when it's a launch, but it's it's middle of chainsaw season in my eyes. And and that's that's what I'd be focused on right now, for sure. And so what are you doing with that? You know, uh, in how much is too much, et cetera, you know, you, you, I look at it like, okay, if I was going to go and our property's big in the UP, you know, we've talked about it in the past, but if I was going to go up there, I would want to do as much as I could to be as efficient with my time in my trip. But at the same time, when you're taking down trees right now, it's easy to, you know, turn around and then say, well, I can't put those back up. And at the same time, you don't want to do too little. So, like, when you say it's chainsaw season, what are you doing with that chainsaw? Great question. And that's a common a common thought is intimidation to go in there and cut down something that's been growing for 30, 40, 50 years, right? I get it. I love big mature trees. Um Problem is they don't do much for deer or wildlife habitat unless they're dropping acorns. And if you look at all the trees in the forest, how many of them are actually dropping acorns? And, and so really a deer, which is what we like to focus on, is at the five foot and below level of the forest. And yes, I need to get up to your UP property. We've been talking about it for a while and I'd love to go see it. And I do think between food and a chainsaw, those are going to be your two best friends up there. Um I want to I want to mention chainsaw safety. I'm no arborist either. I didn't go through training to learn how to use a saw properly. I'm careful as heck when I use a saw. As should everybody else. Helmet, chaps, etc. That being said, you really 
you can cut too much, but very, very rarely have I ever seen a spot that's cut too. Actually, I don't think I've ever seen a spot that's cut too heavy. Because think about it, the Michigan DNR, they do clear cuts where they cut everything. And that is optimal deer habitat. And a lot of other states do that. I know you have listeners, not just in Michigan, but a clear cut is like the northern Michigan cornfield, right? It's cover, food, all together. And that's when you cut everything. So cutting too much, I never see that. All the client properties we walk, I never see that. I always see cutting too little, afraid to get started, not afraid, but intimidated on, on how to get started, what to do. Uh, that's what we, we run into the most. And if you if you take a, I like to do it in, in sections, so like a, maybe a half acre or a quarter acre section. The way we like to prescribe that to our, our property owners or clients is you can open the, the canopy one way or another. The sunlight needs to hit the forest floor in that quarter acre section. And that's a good, that's a fairly big area for somebody who hasn't done this before to focus on. And you can either hinge cut all the trees down. Um, I don't usually hinge cut everything. I would, I would fell the bigger trees completely down the ground and then maybe hinge some smaller trees, the junk trees on top of that. I also like to keep a little bit of timber value around if possible, depending on what your goals are, but you can also clear cut the whole thing, remove everything, leave stumps and let those shoot up. I don't exactly care how you get that done, but the fact that you opened up a quarter acre of sunlight in your mature woods or in your woods is, is my goal. That's what I want to see done. Um, so cutting too little would be more common than cutting too much. So if you've ever cleared a property or cut something to build on, uh, taking down a tree in your backyard, right? Yeah. The tree is up there. And, you know, it's basketball size or whatever. And you're like, oh, that won't be that big of a deal. And then it comes down and then it's all the branches, all the leaves, all. And if it's pine, good Lord, look out. Um, so when you're felling these big trees and stuff like that, and let's say, you know, because in the past you've talked about like foresters and timber buyers and stuff like that but if you were just on your little property at home and you wanted to clean out a quarter of an acre make some better deer habitat on your property what are you doing with the brush the logs all that stuff if you're hinge cutting them you're leaving it there for you know cover and that sort of stuff but like let's say that you take that quarter acre and you've got and you fell 10 trees well you have a giant mess now and that's that intimidation factor comes back, right? Sure. So, so what are you doing with that? Yeah. So you you touched on the fact that we've talked about a forester in the past. If you can get somebody to come give you some value and some money for your timber, and you don't have to get out there and cut it, more power to you. Check it out. The resources are free. They'll walk the timber with you for free most of the time, and you can get a good opinion on what you should or shouldn't do. Be sure to. Uh, explain what your goals are. A lot of foresters are there to grow trees for for timber value. We want deer. Those are two opposite ends of the spectrum almost every time. Um, so if I'm if I'm on my 15 acres and I'm cutting a quarter acre, I'm leaving all of that brush, everything. It's okay. Like if you're hinge cutting, right? So you, a hinge cut, you're leaving it at knee height or maybe at chest height, and that tree is still in, intact. So it's immediate side cover laying there in your woods it's it's a site blocker you can't see past it it's cover you created cover as soon as you cut that tree down 
Um, it's very valuable. Now, if you fell some of the bigger trees, so say you're in an area and there's a bunch of big trees and then some little trees afterwards, I will fell the big trees because they're blocking the most sunlight. You can take those trunks out and you can use them as firewood. Um, a forester or a logger would take them out for value. You don't need to let the trunk lie there as much as the top. The top of the tree, that big crown, that big circle, 10, 15 foot tall, 20 foot tall, depending on how big a tree, is very valuable. Deer will bed in and around that. It's like a a little thicket, if you will. Um, leave those. Do not cut those and, and remove those out. You get your firewood from the trunk. You know, that trunk lying there on the ground. If you leave that, that's fine too. That'll rot. It'll feed birds and worms and everything else over time. But you can remove some of that. The main thing is you want this area to be navigable. So you want to be able to walk into it, turn left, turn right, be able to see if you're the deer, forward, back. You don't want some, you know, trapping them down a chute or a hallway, if you will. You want them to be able to amaze them pocket effect, if that makes any sense. Um, and deer are going to bet in there. They're going to bet on the edges of this whole thing. I just like to create the sunlight coming through. And then I want to be able, I want the deer to be able to navigate through that. So it's not a blockade. So that's my main thing is just create, you know, pathways through it, shoulder width apart. And you want to check those probably every year. Cause you'll have other branches and trees fall in there and block them. And if you don't go in there and check, you won't know that the deer are or are not using them. And from a, a extremely like novice standpoint, like, is it is it prudent to just go in there and cut everything and just you know Jared said it's good just clear it all well, the state of Michigan does it do that or you know I mean because I've seen you know we've got a a buddy uh, shoots at our club that has a, a business where he does like the land clearing right um, and not necessarily like. It's just like clears all the underbrush. He's got a skid steer with the the tool on the front of it that just eats everything like eight the inches and in below. Yeah. And it, you know, just goes through there. And like in my mind, I think like that's what I would want. But I understand that the deer don't want that. And I, I don't know if I heard it on a podcast or one of our guests said it or it was someone in passing. But they said that deer and bucks in particular – always want something touching them. Like they want to be in somewhere where they can escape to, to thick cover. And like, that was kind of like the most prolific thing that I've heard about like deer. So it's like, if they're not going to have something that's actually touching them, then it's, it's too open. But what you're saying about just going in and clearing everything, you know, it's like, well, that's not, you know, that in five years, that'll be great. But and that and that's what I meant. <laughs> yep. And yeah, to so to specify with a clear cut as well on the DNR lands, um, or a clear cut in this quarter acre, it's gonna be barren or a deer desert for a year or two. Um, that's a sacrifice you gotta make though to get that year three to ten where it's very beneficial. So great, great point. Yeah. Um, you don't want to wide open anything when it comes to Michigan deer or pressure deer or mature deer. If you often look uh, right in the woods off of a food plot, usually on the downwind side, there will be what they call a buck sneak trail where a buck is using the cover 
to scent and check that whole food plot without ever stepping in it. The does might be out there. You might step in there after dark. But like to your point or, the, or your your person's point who you talked about that example, they like to be in the cover. Cover is king, in my opinion. And t- to your original kind of theme here about um, you know what's most effective on a small property or really any property, in my opinion, is cover and the security that they have with that cover. So, yeah, you don't want to clear cut and expect the deer to be using that clear cut that day or that year you need the you need the sunshine in there to get that growth to come back up then it's beneficial that's why felling the trees leaving the tops or hinge cutting which are just other tools i don't strictly do one um that's why those are beneficial because it's more of an immediate cover and so when you're going in and um doing land plans and stuff for for clients or or going in and, and mapping out properties one thing that that interest me and 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 maybe it could help the listener especially on a small piece of property because of yours you know you kind of laid out a blueprint of what you saw kind of maybe what the deer were doing but then what you wanted the deer to do and changed it like to you know to your needs and just gave the deer what they needed to get them to you are there any like terrain features or things that when you go into a property like don't miss mondays with into the blue brought to you by academy sports and outdoors every monday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. That you'd go in and say, when I see that, this is what I always want to do here. And then, like, push back from the landowner or whatever. And I, and I only say that because every time I go and hunt someone else's property, I'm looking at it at on Onyx or base map, Spartan Forge, like whatever. I'm looking at it. And with the new Spartan Forge with their terrain where you can pop up all the elevation, you know, sometimes you see things and then the the property owner or whatever, and especially on our property, it's like, well, nobody ever hunts over there. Like, you know, that's not a good spot. And then that guy always goes in and sees deer there or, or, or whatever. And – you know, for you, I can see that as you would look at an aerial map and say, okay, this is where the deer should be bedding. This is where that is. We can, you know, the this land feature creates this. So is there anything that when you look at a, a, a property, like without even talking to the owner and you say, we need to go check this out because here we, we can do that. Yes. Um, and, and to your point, you mentioned the last comment, you know, having a plan in place is very key. Don't just go cut just to cut. You can, again, trees grow back. You can clean it up when you're done. It's not the end of the world, but if you're creating bedding right next to where you park your truck or something, cause you don't have a plan in place, it's not going to behoove you every time you get out and walk to your tree stand. So there having a plan in place will help guide you on where to cut when to cut and etc so to to this question which is the same point 
certain terrain features we see time and time again, um, we can tell for the most part without walking the property and, and be able to offer a little guidance. We do offer digital plans like that, but like I'd rather walk the property, you know, eight days a week than just look at an aerial. That being said, terrain features that matter to me, um, lowlands and wetlands, I think those are great bedding areas. Again, you're not really doing much with that. You're not cutting trees out in a, in a swamp. You could maybe plant some redders or dogwood, some willow, thicken that up. But to your main question here, I would say elevation. So deer like to bed in elevation. You've hunted Southern Ohio. You know, I'm up here in Northern Michigan right now. It's very similar to Southern Ohio. It's the same, same thing. The the bench off of the, the top of the ridge, right? The military crest, whatever term you want to use. That's where we like to cut and encourage bedding and activity. Now, and that's pretty pretty standard across the board. Um, even on my 15 acres, I probably have like two foot of elevation change in that whole property. It's very flat. But I've cut on an area where it's literally two foot higher than the rest of the property. And the deer notice that and they take advantage of that. And they bed there because of that and the, and the cover that I've created. So elevation is probably one of the most important things that I look at uh, on a map. Even if I come walk your UP property with you, I'll drop a bunch of pens on my on my app when I'm walking. I'll bring it home and I'll draw up the plan and we'll talk about it later. I use the topography feature all the time when I'm back home going, okay, I dropped the pin here. Let me dial in a little closer and make sure it's exactly on that bench, on that crest right off there. That would be probably my main terrain feature would be elevation that I, I consider. What about, um, it's Michigan and I think of Michigan, obviously we're a bow hunting podcast, but the, the rifle hunting roots run deep, right? Sure. How do property lines come into play when you're dealing with, uh, landowners and, um, hunting deer movement and such of saying like, well, I don't want these deer going over to my neighbors or I want the deer to bet on my neighbors and then come over to my property. Um, you know, what are some, I, I don't know, tricks or tips of, of how to uh, navigate that type of situation? That's a, that's a great question. And you don't really know, um, or at least I don't really know what your neighbors are doing until I talk to you until I walk the borders of the farm with you. Then I start, that's why I want to walk, I walk the borders all the way around first, pretty much before we go in the, the internal. Cause let's face it. Deer don't sit on 40 acres their whole life and, and not walk to the neighbors or vice versa. Neighbors are a huge impact. The probably the, one of the biggest impacts besides ourselves um, on smaller parceled ground, like Michigan, we have a ton of forties and tens and twenties, you know, where you're from and I'm from over there on the West side. Even over here where I live now, it's it's all broken up. That being said, if you can get a feel of what the neighbors are doing, awesome. That very much plays into it. Can you depend on your neighbors to use their property as bedding and then you're the food source? You can. It's very risky. It's very risky. They could screw that up in one afternoon and your property's kind of toast for a while. That's too risky 
But sometimes it's the way it happens. Like my 15 busts up to a really big swamp. I knew that when I bought the place and, and the deer bed out there, they bet on me. They bet up to the North on this other guy. Um, you, you can't have it all, but what we try to do, if the place is big enough and it lays out the correct way and every property is different, we'll try to have everything encompassed on one parcel on yours so you can control it. No outside enemies, if you will, or, or disturbances that we can try to avoid. Um, again, the deer will not stay on your property the whole time unless you're a few thousand acres, maybe, and then still. But we take that all into effect. Uh, for instance, my my property here up north, we use the road on this whole south side as our access. So that's where you know the the, the property line is the road. So that's you take that into effect. There's cars going up and down there all day long. You don't look any different than anybody else by using that as your access. Um, there's a part where the north border meets some really good neighboring ground. And I like to have a trail around my entire parcel if I can to hunt any wind. But sometimes it just doesn't work because you're walking through too much good stuff. And you're going to screw it up by using that. So... It all comes into play. Uh, I hate to use the, the term it depends, but it really does. Every farm is different. And that's why a plan or, or just some guidance in general is always helpful before you before you go in. Even hunting it for a year before you start doing any habitat work can be very beneficial. That's what I did on mine. So what's what's the most important? If you if uh, uh, and you know you have uh, 15 acres, but it, let's say that you had you know, 10 acres and you lived there. So this is going to be your typical Michigan house, right? You bought your house in the country. You got 10 acres. There's deer around. If you could have one feature on that, that you wanted to focus on or improve, what would it be? Cover. Cover. And hopefully you built your house on the very front end of it by the road, not in the middle or the back. Um, I do appreciate a nice setting in the woods, especially if I'm living there. I get it, but it doesn't help you any for deer usually. And why cover if you know that those deer are going to be moving on? I mean, it, it seems that everybody would be like, well, I'm going to put in food plots. And it probably goes back to the Michigan roots of baiting and the, you know, you're going to, you're going to have this, the deer come to this spot so you can shoot them. Right. But why is cover? in in lieu of food or or water or something like that well we can legally shoot deer during hunting daylight hours right so obviously so to get a deer up on his feet at least the deer that i try to chase um i want them to feel comfortable and if they're not feeling comfortable they're not going to show up in daylight so if you imagine two 10 acre parcels one is a an autumn olive thicket overgrown pasture, just brushy 10 foot tall, can't see 30 yards, or you have a wide open clover field. Where do you think that big boy is going to be in daylight hours? Um, there is a ton of food in cover. So food plots are supplemental. They're not the main food source. They're helpful. They're, they're the icing on the cake, 
but warty browse and herbaceous vegetation, that's the, that's what deer eat more than food plots. So you can have cover that is food, that is safety, that is going to give them the security they need. Because, you know, as you know, our deer are kind of nuts around here. Um, I'd, I'd pick that all day over the food. Now, would I have a food plot? Sure. Would I have some winding trails or some clover going through that cover? Of course. But if I was gun in my head, pick one, it's cover. No question. And so how can guys, I mean, is that where the chainsaw comes in just to maximize that? And then outside of that, like, how do you create or what do you put in as woody brows? I mean, you mentioned, you, you always talk autumn olive, but that's like invasive species. Like yeah. probably shouldn't be planting that. So like what, what can you plant or how could you improve, um, you know, that brows in, in, in these these sort of areas like when you're doing like hinge cutting or creating uh you know taking down these tops are you just letting the the forest take over and just say you know whatever is going to be there is there or can you go in and supplement it also great question and segue back to the chainsaw it's like you're a professional podcast host it's perfect i think i think yeah i mean you you really laid it out right there um chainsaw Sunlight to the forest floor. Mother Nature and God made this very simple from day one. Sunlight to the forest floor will create a lush variety of of food and cover briars, um, weeds, goldenrod, whatever that comes up. All the seeds are already in the seed bank. The dirt around us is full of seeds for years and years and years. And all it needs is sunlight. So that's the easiest bang for your buck to do that. And yeah, autumn olive, I probably shouldn't even mention that. It's almost like taboo or or should be maybe illegal. But deer, deer love it and they're in and around it and it's not going anywhere anytime soon, unfortunately, based on, I mean, DNR was recommending planting that way back when. So it's, it's kind of interesting. But I use autumn olive because it's a good example that a lot of us have on our farms. It's 10 to 15 foot tall. It's covered. You can't see through it. And look at that. The deer are always betting in it. It's just a good example. Are there better native options? Of course. Um, so to get to the last part of your question, if you let the sunlight in and you get a bunch of autumn olive coming up and you get a bunch of young oaks coming up and some pines coming up, different weeds, you can go in there with a backpack sprayer that tool I mentioned in the beginning, full of herbicide and treat your invasive species and you can make it more beneficial aka more native to our wildlife just like that so i would treat it after the fact once you get some good growth going in there keep an eye on it and just you know get rid of the bad stuff encourage the good stuff you can plant more items too like hybrid willows um switchgrass american plum different trees and shrubs there's a ton of shrubs that are out there that are native that you can plant that deer love they don't get above 10 feet and you just make yourself a little diverse habitat thicket of all the best things. You're going to be the outlier in the area. Your neighbors are not going to be doing this. And and the guys up the road, you know, many people just go out in the woods and, and they hunt the wide open woods and then deer season's over and we move on. Um, so if you're the one guy who's going to be out there, guy or gal doing this, and you're creating this social hub, this ice cream stand in the middle of nowhere, you're going to notice that habitat response or wildlife response to the habitat very, very quickly. 
so when you say that you know the 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 soil's like rife with all of these seeds and like this can be done you know relatively easy um do you think that we overcomplicate it by saying okay well we just automatically think of food plots and then when you think of habitat management like you know obviously what first comes to mind is the Habitat podcast, but then you think of these littler guys like Jeff Sturgis and the big drone uh, flyovers with these beautiful, uh, you know, manicured properties and stuff like that. Um, is is that necessary? Is that overkill? I mean, are we really overthinking it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, we can you can dive into anything as deep as you want to dive into it, right? I mean. I nerd out on this stuff. I could go on for hours about different things that we want to, we want to get into and stuff that I've learned. The, what you need to do is get started. And a lot of people don't do is they don't pull the trigger or, or get started. You can, again, you can fix any mistakes you're going to make out there. Just go start doing something. Um, I've made all the mistakes. I've already done it. So I already know that you can fix them. To your point, the food plots are, like I said, sexy and, and they're cool. And you grow this neon green looking field and the deer in it every night. It's it. I love it. I do. It's very fun. Um, it's effective. Hunting over it is very hit or miss. You have one hunt over it, you might blow it out for the rest of the season. So it's it's risky. Um, are we overthinking it in general? Yes. It is as simple as just getting out there and getting started. It really is. And there's a lot of questions that can be answered with the internet or, or thank you, the Habitat podcast, or there's a lot of resources out there. Um, I just encourage folks to, to try something, you know, get going. Because once you're bit by this bug, you're in trouble because it's all I want to do. And then it makes your deer hunting better every step of the way, all year. It's like deer hunting all year round. It really is. From the mistake side of it, I think where people have the the fear and I and I understand that, you know, doing nothing um, isn't going to really improve anything. But like, if if the the fear of the unknown is, well, if I mess it up, you know, I'm not happy with the deer that I'm seeing now. And what if I see less deer? And I put in all this work, all this money, and and I don't know if I said it when I was on with you or or what, but but ultimately, like, I would rather fail on my own not doing anything and trying you know going out to areas then putting in a shit ton of work and money and then fail on top of that because you know we all have families and time crunches and all this stuff and it's like you spent all that money and did all that stuff and you saw zero results <laughs> like that's a worse kick in the nuts than just not seeing any deer because you're a bad hunter. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, have you have you had that happen yet? No, um, exactly because you're not you're not going to screw it up worse than it already is. Yeah, you're not going to. I mean, in my opinion, I don't think hunting pressure will screw something up. So if if you make the best habitat farm in the world, but you walk through the middle of it with your wind blowing everywhere and you don't hunt it correctly. I don't care where you're at. You're going to screw it up. But if you're going out there and you're cutting down some trees and you're opening up that canopy and you're putting a little bit of food and you're hunting smarter, there's no way it's going to be worse. And try it little bits at a time, right? Try 
a quarter acre session, watch it for a year, see if the deer respond, see if they don't. I, I have an idea which way it's going to go, but like go in little bits and pieces. That way you're learning. You can't really make any vast mistakes if you're trying out things in a in, you know incremental step process. Um, again, we mentioned hinge cutting. It's some people hate it, some people love it. I never tell anybody to go hinge cut your entire forty acre woods. That would be a mistake, and that'd be one that you spend a lot of time on. That the deer are going to be in there for sure, but like it's it goes from a monoculture of pure mature timber to a monoculture of pure hinge cut. I like diversity. So these little pockets and this and that a little bite at a time, and you're going to see some improvement. Um, and then if you go out there and you screw it up somehow, which I, I'm not sure how, but say this, this scenario does happen. There's a way to fix it always. So I, I don't have that worry anymore. I do. I have had the worry in the past like you're saying of, man, it's a lot of work. Um, Am I going to screw up by cutting these big trees down, et cetera? But, you know, you need the the, the sunlight to the forest floor. I've said it by four times already. So uh, it's it's almost like not quantifiable, right? So you can't say this is what it's going to be, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Like, let's say that you go into this quarter acre and you do, let's say on your 10 acres, you do yeah. three years worth of quarter acre improvement. So you do this one over here and then you say, okay, well, Jared said there's this going to take a little bit. So now we go over and we pick another area and we do that and we do three years. Like, is there um, like a time frame where you're like, okay, it will take – deer x amount of time to start finding and using and you know where you see the most um activity uh in those areas and in in let's just say that it's even like outside of hunting so it, what i mean by that is let's say that it is on your property and so you have access to walk the property all year long, every day, uh, you know, trail cameras, cell cameras or whatever. So it doesn't necessarily mean like during hunting season, right? So you can screw it up in an instant, you know, October 1st through the 15th or, or whatever. And these deer can use other areas during the rut or whatever, but you know, where they're like having their fawns, where they're living in the summer, you know, when there is that uh, lush green up in the spring to like see more animals, to see more activity, if that makes sense. Yeah. I I think you're not going to, it, it everything we've talked about is only going to push things in the right direction. Um, I like if you did a session one year, a session, another year, a session, a third year, because what you're doing, you have three different levels of habitat now. You know, like like we talked about the clear cut, it takes a little bit to get going. Hinge cutting or dropping trees, you you created cover that day. Deer will respond that day or the next day. I was on a client property in Calcasia recently. He had his maple trees in his woods logged off by a logger last fall. And he was unsure about how many deer were on the property. He thought maybe two doe families. Um, 
all those tops that he left from the logging, there were deer tracks around every stinking top in that. I thought it was a 30 acre wood, wood lot. Um, we we're just blown away by all the deer sign that we saw. You know, if you cut a, a maple tree down right now, hard maple, soft maple, either way, they're going to be nipping at those buds and those, those, that woody brows right away. So the length of time for response is different between what type of habitat, like switchgrass takes three years to get fairly tall. Apple trees take four to seven years to drop apples. You have all that kind of going that you have to, you have to play with. But as far as any big mistakes or, or trying to worry about something that's going to affect you the rest of the year, um, I'm not too worried about that stuff. Cause again, you're the only guy doing this stuff in the area, most likely. So you're already going to be a, above the 90% of the properties around you. So say you, you cut a bunch of bedding and they're bedding next to your access trail where you walk in. They, I did that. They do that. They, they bet under my tree stand on a certain spot of my place. Um, they know the woods better than we do, but there's ways around that. And I fixed that issue by dropping a tree across that trail, right where that deer was bedding, et cetera, essentially kicking him out of there. Um, so it's a never ending tweak and manipulation. Um, nothing's ever set in stone. So that's, what's cool about this whole thing. It's just an ongoing journey all the time. And if there's something you need to adjust, it, ne- it never ends. It really never ends. Well, I just was looking at it in terms of like the, like the field of dreams thing. Like if you do it, deer will come. So like if like sure. the, your maple tree scenario there, like for a guy who's got, you know, kind of like what you had outlined and, and, for those who hadn't listened to that podcast, Jared had a property where this 15 acres that he's talking about, you could pull into the driveway and this time of year, you could see the back of the property. So great deer habitat uh, around him and the neighbors had good ag. There's ag nearby. There's a swamp behind it, but his property just happened to be, you know, didn't really offer the deer a whole lot other than maybe moving through. Passing and, through. And so – how long did it take after you, you know, logged that off and laid those tops for those deer to feel comfortable using that area? Yeah, um, it was that year and I actually shot a buck the next fall because I had it logged in September, which isn't, you know, the best time of year to have loggers in your deer woods. But a lot of the time it's when it's dry enough for them to get their equipment in there. Um, I shot a buck. I shot two bucks the next year, which is last year. And one of them was bedded in one of the tops that was cut and lying there from the year before. So, you know, one year they were already matured. A three-year-old deer in Michigan, which is what I go after or or more, They that's where they were bedding in the next year. So I'm sure they were bedding in there that year even. Um, I did see some smaller bucks in there, and and I didn't kill one that same year they logged. But um, it was a weird year anyways. But, yeah, they'll, they'll respond right away. Um, they, they're looking for this stuff. You know, a lot of the, the big uh, timber areas of the world, you know, southern Ohio, Pennsylvania, they're cutting a lot of trees all the time. It's like the chainsaw is like a dinner bell. This deer are there at the job site the next morning when these guys pull back in. Why is that, do you suppose? Is it because they have, like – are conditioned to that because you, you hear talk 
you hear guys talk about like anytime you turn up dirt, like animals come to figure out like what it is. Um, but you know, it's one thing that's hilarious to me. Like, I think the first time I ever had Jared on the podcast, one of the things that I think is the most ridiculous thing in the whole wide world. Um, but we've seen it at our property in the UP, not with like food plots, but just with the grass. Um, but Jared's like, yeah, you, you got to grow your clover. Then you got to mow your clover. And I'm like, that's so stupid. Like you got this great lush clover field and you're going to go mow it. And it's the new shoots, right? Well, we've got, uh, we had a trail camera out for like trespassers or people like breaking into the cabin or whatever. And so you'd see like my dad or someone uh, mowing the lawn. And then that night there would be a doe family group in there eating the grass. <laughs> like it was like they smelled that yeah. and they came for that. And it's just absurd. So is it, is it that they're conditioned to that, that they, that that's how they pattern humans or is there something else there? <laughs> Well, I'm no wildlife biologist, and they certainly pattern humans. Um, I know they certainly like young, fresh growth. There's actually been some studies that came out. Um, I think it was Dr. Craig Harper was, was proving that mowing your clover uh, versus not mowing your clover, that you're spent more time in the unmowed clover these days. Do they prefer it for palatability? I don't know. I'm not sure on that. Um, I don't think they're conditioned in the fact that they literally hear the chainsaw and they go, oh, food. Like, I don't think that, but, and I'm no biologist, but I think that they smell the grass when it's cut. They smell the dirt when it's turned up. Um, they're curious creatures, right? You get a doe that gets a little whiff of you. And she's, she's not always running. She's stomping around looking, trying to get a beat on you. Like they're, they're curious and you're in their neck of the woods. I just think that a combination of all those, all those aspects kind of, kind of weigh in. To your point about mowing the grass and they're there that night, that's that's funny. That's yeah, that's I've seen that cutting tree down. They're there that night chewing on the buds. Same thing. So for 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 guys who are like on the fence or they're saying like this is like like I do every year, like this is my year. Like we're gonna do something. Uh, we're gonna make some improvements. And um, what? what are like the top five things that guys should be doing right now, whether it's with, well, I'll just, I won't even, I won't even uh, give you any leading questions. You tell me. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, top five. Okay. So one thing, and it won't be in any particular order. Um, one thing would be to get your fruit trees or mass trees in the ground. You know, when the one's the best time to plant a tree, 20 years ago, right? So get your apple trees, get your pear trees, get them ordered, get them in the ground because it's going to take them four to eight years to start dropping fruit. Um, I have apples and chestnuts that are producing this year and I'm on year six of the 15 acres. So that would be a huge one right now. Um, chainsaw work. We dove into a lot of the chainsaw work, create that cover. Now's a great time to cut because you're not going to be killing yourself in the heat. There's no mosquitoes out there. Um, there's no leaves on the trees, so you can actually see how much cover you have. Because once the leaves drop off, you know, the woods change. You think you're in a thick area in early October. Yeah, I can't see 30 yards. Yeah, I, I would agree. But then the leaves fall late October, and you can see 150. 
that's that's a totally different area. So doing the cutting now gives you an idea. And I, I don't like to be able to see more than 30, 40, 50 yards in the woods at a deer's level, period. Um, I would also check out, you know, getting a plan in place, whether you use us, you use anybody, get a plan in place. Somebody who has some knowledge in your area, um, who's been on similar type of dirt to understand and maybe highlight for you bullet points on what you need to be doing first for your goals. Again, timber and deer are two different ends of the spectrum. But if you can get a get some goals going with a plan, know where you're going to put your food plots when it does warm up, et cetera, that'd be another one. Get a forester. State, I like 98% of the plans that I'm on, and I I made up that number, but it's like 9 out of 10, maybe 10 out of 10, need their woods cut. It's too mature. Get a forester, a state forester. They're usually free. Um, consulting forester, they'll come out and walk it for you for free and they'll take a commission if you do get it logged. But getting one of those guys and meeting and walking with them and learning what they have to say is going to benefit you greatly. Um, I think that was four things right there. Number five, number five, I think would be scouting. The snow and the woods prior to just spring green up are showing exactly what the woods look like in november right now um the snow too much snow will, will hide that so like right when the snow melts is a great time to, to scout you can get a lot of intel done and that's what that's what we do we walk properties up until spring green up after that we don't walk them anymore we're, we're, we're done for the year because you can't see you can't see very far in the woods you can't see the trails the rubs the scrapes everything from last year um so i would scout heavy in these winter months as well go shot hunting Number six, kind of scouting. Every time I'm shed hunting, I end up scouting instead and don't find sheds. But um, that'd be probably my top few bullet points there for right now. When you talk about the fruit trees, I'm glad that you brought that up. How many and as far as placement, how does that, you know, in theory, you know, as many as the place will hold, but then – it's just like when every tree has acorns, then it's harder to hunt than when there's the one white oak that's dropping all the acorns. You know, you got a destination food source. If you plant an orchard, well, then the deer could be in there uh, anywhere. And, but like I say, like, so how many and then how are you? Are you strategically planting them? What's the thought process that goes into that? That's another great question. I think. Again, it depends on the property, what you have to work with in terms of how much room you have, where your bedding is, where your your scouting has has shown you the deer are or are not or or should or should not be. You know, you don't want to plant a bunch of apple trees next to your truck where you park, for for lack of a better example. Um, I used to go. I've changed over time. I used to go off the the rule of thumb of plant as many as I can, and then go off percentages, the majority will live and then I'm I'm good, right? Um I still do that depending on on what it is and, and my time. But with fruit and mass trees, it benefits you to cage them, to you know, feed them, to mat the, the ground, kill the weeds around them. It gives them a lot better chance to survive. You know, the deer the deer have ripped my cages off my apple trees. They have my I have a buck rubs on my apple trees. Deer don't care. They're they're gonna destroy everything you did. 
But if you can protect him and really give him a chance, you're going to have fruit quicker. Um, as far as how many, you know, do what you do what you can do. If you can get a half dozen in this year with cages, fence all the way around them, posts in the ground, holding the fence, um, a weed mat to cover the weeds to keep everything from growing and choking them out and, and robbing them of all their nutrients. Um, if you can do a half dozen, that's that's going to be a, a good day for you, if not day and a half or so. If you can do 20, that's that's a lot. That's a lot. So I would start out with ordering, you know, maybe a half dozen, a dozen, get them in. You know, all, all the different websites of the nurseries have spatial recommendations on how far they need to be apart from each other. But just don't bite off more than you can chew because then you're sitting there with it's starting to turn into May. Okay, it's starting to get to June. You still got 40 trees sitting back behind your barn. Um, it's getting hot out. You know, you only want to plant a tree. I think the cliche term is any any month that has an R in it. I think if that makes sense. Yeah, so like May through August, bad time to plant trees. It's hot. You're going to burn up. So just don't bite off more than you can chew. And I, I say that because I've done that. Where do you put them, though? I mean, like if yeah, if, okay. if, if, you, yeah. if you were if you were uh, building a property for uh, John Eberhart, you would create this bedding area and put a mature apple tree right in the center of it, and that would be the key. You know, like you say, you know, don't plant them by your truck, but at the same time, if that's the only like uh, if it's only a hunting property. And you're not going to be hunting those apples and you've got cover on the way back and you can just get between them. I mean, I'm sure that every property, like you would say, it depends. But, you know, are you how are you using those trees in conjunction with, say, a small food plot and your bedding? Yeah, great point. I didn't answer that part of your question. I think that. If you had them by the truck, and even though you're hunting in between the bedding and the apple trees by the truck, you're still going to bump those deer when you get down from your stand on the way out. Just in our in our instance there. I think I like to have them, all mine are within fairly close shooting distance of, of a blinder stand. Now, I'm kind of limited to where my dry ground is and where I can plant them, but every one of them is like a travel pattern between my property runs east and west and the deer travel is mainly east and west as well and every one of my fruit or mass trees is within either bow usually mostly bow distance of a blind or stand i think can you imagine like a like what eberhart finds out in the woods right he finds these mature apple trees in cover that are dropping and that's from what i've heard um and it hurts from my buddies who've been in his class that's what the majority of his setups are. And that's cover surrounding a hot food source. So I would, I would plant them. Even if you only have, you know, 10 square feet of space, drop some trees around the area and let that apple tree flourish and, and make that one of your key focal points. Mock scrapes. I'm going to have mock scrapes right there too. Every time um, a food plot, you know, a little a clover trail or a micro kill plot. Those are okay. I don't hunt on big one or two acre food plots. Um, 
I just think our, our deer, our, the deer that, that I'm trying to shoot are a little bit wise to that. So that's why I cover back to the very beginning of this podcast. That's where I'd, I'd put these in conjunction with that, you know, that and the mock scrapes, a little water hole. You could dig a water hole. We try to spruce up or accessorize our stand locations to have everything they need. Even if they don't use it, it's there for them. And they're going to go there versus someplace that has none of that stuff. So back to the fruit cheese real quick, because I know there is one of the things that you've shared in the past is, you know, one of these nurseries around us in, in Michigan. Sure. And there's I'm sure they're everywhere, but they'll say, OK, you can buy these trees, you know, at, but the trees are at different ages and different levels. Um, right. So. What does that mean to you as a habitat manager? And is it just cost and like time frame for putting like quicker to fruit? Or is there like a certain age tree that you want to plant? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, again, great question. I try to get the oldest tree I can and that they do cost the most usually. So depending on your budget, I try to get a two or three year old tree. Um and these nurseries that that we work with, we use one out of Michigan called Morse. There, there's a bunch of them. I've, I've used other ones. Turkey Creek in Nebraska is pretty good. They use a different root stock. So the root stock that they grafted this apple tree to, the root stock is, is made to grow quickly, aggressively in certain conditions. And that gives you a jump versus the Home Depot apple tree that you're buying on sale, uh, which I've done that too. And I think that you're going to have fruit quicker. So you're going with an older tree, which is already hopefully saving you two years, right? Which is planting a seed or maybe even more than that. And then you're getting an aggressive root stock made for this type of situation. You want to do that. You want to focus on, on those two items. And usually a place that sells wildlife trees focuses on that versus a big box store that doesn't use a custom root sock and that may keep their their apple trees in a black pot on the pavement um out in the sun all day so it's it's it anything you can do to help yourself out here and create more advantages for yourself and your wildlife you're gonna save yourself time time is money so so from the like dollar cost averaging standpoint um if if money was an issue, what is the most like cost-effective uh, improvements that you can do on your property? Like dollar for dollar, lifetime of the property. Like, is that where fruit trees come in, or is it going to be cover? How how is it going to be like if money was a factor? Sure. Yeah, no, money's always a factor. I mean, I, I don't I don't care who you are. Nobody wants to waste money. Um and time. Like I said, time is money, especially for us with young kids and families. Like we have pockets of time that we get, and that's it. I, I get it. The chainsaw, number one. Um I bought my chainsaw for 180 bucks maybe eight years ago. It's an MS 170 by steel. It's a basic saw. It does great. It still works perfect. I've created more habitat with that saw than anything else. And what? 10 tanks of gas 
you know, over a weekend or whatever it could be, how much you cut, not that much money, not that much money, a lot of time, a lot of effort, but that's where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. There's really nothing that comes close to that. Fruit trees are, are kind of pricey, kind of expensive, but I would get some in the ground. It's, it's another, it's another good option that again, your neighbors are probably not going to have a bunch of hybrid pears and chestnuts dropping during bow season. You know, who do you know that has those out of all your, all your buddies, right? So it's not as cost effective as a chainsaw, but it's as advantageous um, to be that niche property. A water hole is great. It depends. You might have water on your property. Maybe water hole doesn't work as well for you then or isn't as advantageous. But for, for time and money standpoint, your saw or the guys down south going to be prescribed fire. The saw and prescribed fire down there. We don't use it as much up here. Um, some of the grassland habitat we can use it on and whatnot, but we don't burn forests as much up here. That that's that's another one, and again, that's what Mother Nature's been doing. And God's been doing for years, you know, setting fires in the prairie. Um, tornadoes knocking all the trees down, you know, windstorms open up that canopy. That's that's your best bang for your buck, no question. It just seems like it's a a never ending thing and it, it it in a in a finite time and space like everybody wants everything quickly yeah. you know and so I, I think the basis of a lot of my questions are are strictly based on that where you know i know like you said i can go and if i do things even 75% right, 60% right. I can get some good seed in the ground and I'll have green stuff come up. And at least I know that it worked. And if I plant apple trees and I don't get any apples for 10 years, it's like, why, why did I, you know, well, that was a bust. You know, it doesn't a drought <laughs> could kill them, right? <laughs> like animal, a bear could knock them over and rip them apart. I get it, <laughs> but I think like, but that's at least you can show from like a food plot standpoint that I grew something. Like it may not, it, it may be detrimental to your deer hunting because you have, if you were in, in my case, you could have, you know, any number of fifteen people to go up there and hunt it on every wrong wind or whatever, but that's where the deer are at night or whatever. So the deer got to be, you know, one of these, it kind of goes, and I'm not like picking on my family because I think it's just a a thing, but. Oh, it is. It's like, well, the deer are going to be there sometime. Maybe it's today. It's the same thing as, you know, I see those deer over there every day. And, you know, one of those days they're going to come walk by me instead of going over and hunting where the where you see the deer every day. Right. Um, so that's just like kind of the, my basis of all of this stuff is, you know, for, you know, I think I even think like my parents have five acres and there's, we've had some like crazy deer on camera there, but we've, I'm, we've never killed a deer like on that property. And I, in my lifetime hunting out there, I've seen one, like really nice buck. Like when I was like 12 years old, like right out of like. 
A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. Got out of school at 2.30, went and got in the stand, and, you know, everything was wrong, but the deer was there, and I got winded. But I think about that where my dad's got a food plot in on some power lines, and we get deer there, but it's like overgrown pine. And I see, and it's it's like, I don't know if it would be like spruce, like an overgrown like uh, Christmas tree farm. And so everything underneath it is dead. And it's just all dead pine trees about 10 feet up. And then, and so now you can see through it. Like, I don't think the deer really want to be in there. Uh, it doesn't matter how much food you plant there it's it's not working so it's like well what could you do in lieu of all of that work to plant the stuff you know just to make the deer live there and and I'm not necessarily posing that like as a question to you but i'm just saying like i think that that's where a lot of guys end up falling right they're like well if i plant something even if i don't see any deer i can get deer on camera and i can show something for my efforts that something did grow right and yeah and if that's your goal if that's what you want to you want to see or are are the you know something growing and and trail cam pictures um definitely you know in your in your parents place there i would drop some of those big trees on the ground and see what happens Mm -hmm. um to your place in the up that's why everything's situational because not all places need a chainsaw most of them do that I've seen, but not all do like up in the UP. If you're not, if you don't have a bunch of ag around or up here where I'm sitting right now, I'm going food heavy for sure. Food plots will be a big part of the program. Um, hunting them correctly and, you know, secretly or, or low pressure is, is more important than even having them. But having them is going to be a, a bigger it's a lower hole. Food would be a lower hole in the bucket on this place up here, as well as probably your place in the UP. It's been a minute since I looked at that aerial with you, but you're not going to hate having a couple acres of really diverse food up there. And if you need some seed, let me know. I think that that's going to help. Now, if there's no cover around it, though, it might be a middle of the night type thing or after dark type thing. That's the problem. That's the tough part. Well, I can tell you this. So last year we went up there and, uh, they had um I'm they, gonna find your aerial on my phone while you're while you're saying this. They dug a pond up there that I think changed the deer movement a little sure. bit. Um and it was it's like right up against some state ground and like right up against some bedding. But we've got probably like a three to five acre field up there. Yep. And we planted a half acre of that just with random stuff. So I use some of the seed from domain and then we put in some radishes on nice. top of that. And then we did another food plot over um, maybe like a quarter acre um, just with the same stuff. But I didn't run a camera on that one. 
And then we put, we started working with Lucky Buck last year and we can use it up there. So we put Lucky Buck out uh, and we were getting, you know, deer on camera, like all sorts of stuff. And like coincidence or, or not, like nobody was hunting over the, um, like the food plots because it's like in this field right next to the, the, the cabin. Yep. But they killed three, like, you know, it's, uh, six point or better up there. And like, we're perpetually seeing four points and the, uh, genetics up there don't lend to brow tines. So you're getting big, big four points. I mean, Frank saw one that he swears was, a hundred inches. Wow. Uh, I mean, he's like, it was a mature deer with no brow tines and just giant like mule deer type forks. I believe um, him. He, he knows what a deer looks like. So yeah. And, yeah. and, but they killed three bucks and I think my uncle killed one. Um, it was probably one, one twenty maybe. Um, and then they killed another eight point and then a six point and then they killed two six points. But that, I think that's the most like, racked or like antler deer that they've taken off that property in I, 20 years, 30 years. Cause it's never happened in my tenure there. And how long have you been doing these improvements for? Was that the first time? It, really? Yeah. And so just, but like I said, it, I, that could be coincidence, like merely coincidence. Right. So, but, but is it, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you guys put some effort into it and you put some, some good resources up there um, versus not in the past and boom. I mean, it could be coincidence, but in, in my world, it usually is because of the work you put in, you know, it, it really does help. This stuff does. That's why it's so fascinating because it does change the game. Like you're actually, you can actually improve your hunting, which is wild. Um and and to your point up there, yeah, I, I have the bucks that you sent me right here, and I have your aerial pulled up in that area. I'd I'd plant more food for sure, you know, in your area right there, and it, surrounding thirty thousand foot view that I'm looking at right here, I would for sure. Yeah, and and like I say, it seems that it's like coincidence because you know, like. Lucky Buck is a great product, but it doesn't like create big deer in one year. You know, it, yeah, you, you need, you need nutrients and the growth and it's just, you know, part of the like the nutrition, um, you know, could it hold more deer on the property? Um, which is kind of what we've been talking about the whole time is allowing those deer to have everything that they, that they need. One of the things with that, um, uh, that pond and you had mentioned like the water hole type stuff. What, where are the water holes most effective? I mean, I understand. Yeah. Like in Arizona, they put out water tanks for the cattle and then the deer come to it because there isn't deer, antelope, elk, whatever, uh, because there isn't any around, but on a, on a property. I mean, if you think about like human behavior, Right. If I am in the airport or something and I have my water bottle and I walk by a drinking fountain, I fill it up because it's there. And I know that there's tons of other places where I could get a drink or whatever. So, like, 
does that play into it just being like a convenient place to stop because it's there? I mean, I know that Jeff Sturgis talks about that. Um, so it doesn't really, in his mind, uh, on some level, it doesn't really matter, you know, if it, if there's water on the property or not. He puts up a mock scrape and a water hole so that when they stop, it's one-stop shopping, kind of like what you said. But where do those work more effectively? Does it matter if there's water on the property? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I used to watch some of Jeff's stuff. I haven't watched him in, in, a, in a few years, so I'm not sure. Um on the references he makes these days. I know that I know that I don't and back to the the, com, the comment I made earlier, hunt it for a year maybe and and look before you do any changes. Everything that I do is to be on the path of least resistance for the deer and convenient for them. Um it's hard to make a deer do a 180 and change the direction of that area. You can do it, and but my focus is more of slight manipulations, left, right, up, down type thing. Push them a little bit more this way. Get them to commit this way by your stand of the 23 yards, et cetera. That's, that's how I do it. So I do put it along where it's convenient for them. I also put it at a tree stand location, and it has to be in cover. Again, it has to be in cover. You're not going to put a water hole out in the middle of a 10-acre bean field and sit there in your blind and, and hunt it because they won't be there till midnight. Um, so it has to, they have to be secure. And I like it to whether it's a travel corridor already, to where they're already moving through. Like you said, the airport, great example. Boom, it's right here. I'll get a sip. Um, and it's amazing. You put a little tub of water in the ground. There's a, there's a cool new product out there by uh, Earth Blind. They make a water hole. Um, I saw it at the ATA show. Very cool, very cool little gig. You put one of those in, it looks more natural. It's nice. I like that to be in the cover. And you put a trail camera on that, you get everything coming to that water hole. Does, fawns, um, getting a, a mature buck in daylight, you can get that. You're winning. Birds, raccoons, squirrels, everything comes to visit these water holes. It's insane the amount of pictures you get on these things. So it's just another social aspect, another hub, another reason for them to be coming in that area the mock scrape use a ton of those food plot um the water hole an apple tree it's not uncommon to see all of these things at many of my stand locations for sure be different be different than every other everybody around you you know but does it matter if there's already like like you said you've got like swamp behind you so swamp to me is standing water creek bottom Something oh, I, like that. Yeah. So does it matter? Like, do the deer still show up to the as as a social thing? Because I would say, like, but not as much. You're right. It's not as much as if there was no water within two miles. Correct. That's definitely a factor. I just think of it as like again back to that like uh, uh, cost effective, like dollar cost averaging my my water tub and filling it up and yeah. and, and whatever, like. My neighbor doesn't have one and like for like the pond type thing in uh I mean you might you may have the the creek crossing or something like that that is you know where you'll find you know the scrapes and you'll have the the communication hub type thing but 
you know, it's kind of like the same thing where you can drink anywhere along there, but I mean, you, you go, yeah, okay, the airport or whatever, but you go the opposite of that. And we don't talk about water. Now we talk about beer. And then, you know, at that one intersection, there's the dive bar where everybody goes to have a beer, not because it's the best beer or it's the best ambiance, but that's where all the people are. So that's people where you go. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, the, it's the communication thing. So is there, is there some of that with, with that, that hub instead of just like, you know, I can get a drink anywhere. So I'll, I'm just going to drink in this, um, this Creek, or I'm going to go check out what's been hitting the water hole. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, again, with the location of where you put it, I use a lot of cover as you've heard me say probably too many times. It's like, I like to be near bedding or in cover that feels like bedding. So they're secure and they're moving through there more often. I haven't seen deer really drink out of, you know, the creeks I hunt around as much as I thought I would. It's more of, they like that stagnant water, you know, which doesn't make sense to me, but they do. And so that water hole kind of provides that. And again, in the cover versus, and maybe there's a sound aspect to it. They're running water, kind of hard to hear, kind of loud. Maybe they don't feel secure. I'm not sure on that. Just speculation. But the social aspect for sure um, is very important with with these deer. But I think that being in the cover, being secure when they're using it is, is probably most important with those. And for, to your cost analysis there, yeah, cheap, easy. Dig a hole, put it in the ground. Um, bigger the tub, the better. Put a log in there so rodents can climb out and not fall in there and die and ruin your contaminate your hole. But um, there's some cool things you can do with that, and it truly is amazing on a hot day what you'll see pop in there. So for your property, uh, properties that you're working on right now, like personally, what projects are you focusing on this year? Like, what are you excited about going into this being your Super Bowl, your habitat season? Yeah. Well, I just broke my collarbone about three weeks ago. I don't have my brace on now, but I'm sitting here on the sidelines kind of crying about it. Um, it's tough. Had I had I not broken that or if I was 100% right now, I'd be dropping trees. Um, and just in, in getting in the woods, scouting, seeing where the deer are using in the snow, easy to tell, and just getting sunlight on the ground because it's cold. You know, chainsaw work is not easy. You sweat, you get warm. So being out now is a great time to do it. Um, you can see what you're doing without the leaves on the trees. That's my main thing. That and we're walking a lot of, of client properties right now. I can do that without hurting myself. So I've been doing that too. But my Super Bowl right now, uh, we're talking a lot about it. We're excited about it. And we're, we're it's saw time. And getting your tree orders ready and your spring food plot orders ready too. That's on the that's on the front. Um, that'd be the, the main focus there for sure. But I mean, like, like long term. So as okay. as you're for this year, like, what are you doing for food plots? What what I mean, do you have? Are you doing different screens? Are you doing like what what mixes are you like looking forward to? Are you changing anything up this year? Yeah. So the food plots. Um, up here at the northern 70, I'm trying to get the forester in here to cut these trees for the logging operation and then get the dozer in here and make some food plots because I don't have any up here. That's number one. Um, 
I'm going to be planting very diverse seed mixes this year as last year. Vitalized seed is what we plant. And um, there's 13 different seed types in the spring mix and 16 different types in the fall mix. And if you have, if you're in Michigan, you probably are familiar with sandy soil. These help with that. And deer understand diversity. They understand, you know, the, the best type of of variety and then if it doesn't rain or you have certain seeds that don't come up you have a backup plan so i'm running the very diverse mixes these days kind of soil building highly attractive to whitetail um that's my plan i'm going that full full fledged i did it halfway last year on some stuff and uh the the response to the diverse mixes the vitalizer was very good so you'll see all my food plots in that moving forward and what's in that sure so um in the in the spring mix or summer mix, uh, the nitro boost is more of a legume heavy mix. A lot of plants that put nitrogen into the ground, free fertilizer, nitrogen. Um, it's pretty expensive these days too after COVID and and all that good stuff. the The spring mix really feeds and preps, keeps weeds down, and gets your your soil ready for fall. Normally, we all plant fall. Only some folks plant spring. I'd say the majority of people plant fall. Um, cool season type stuff. So in the spring mix, there's beans, there's clovers, there's sun hemp, sunflowers, all kinds of stuff with different root structures that pull nutrients up from under the ground and, and nitrogen out of the air into the ground and give you a nice level of nutrients and fertilizer, um, macros and micros ready to go. Then you kill that right before you plant the fall. So in August, you, you'll kill that spring nitro boost mix and plant the fall mix which is heavier on grains um you still have there's there's grains clovers brassicas and uh, buckwheat broadleaf in there in the fall mix 16 different types so wheat rye triticale um purple top turnips all that good stuff and that feeds off of all the nitro nitrogen nitro boost that's been done all spring and feeds a deer very 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 attractive oats a lot of good stuff in that mix and what that does it's it's a high carbon ratio in that fall mix and that feeds the nitro boost then again next spring so it's a cycle boom boom one two system plant one in the spring one in the fall very simple don't overcomplicate it do what mother nature intended boom 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 you know fall spring fall spring fall spring and eventually you will not have to use very much fertilizer or herbicide use at all. And that's kind of cool for a cost savings, best bang for your buck that we've been talking about. Um, and these mixes are are very diverse. And you look at a, a cost per pound and how much diversity and variety are in these mixes. You're, you're as good as any seed mix out there. Go to Tractor Supply and look at it. Bag of clover be 40, 50 bucks and the quarter acre. So you get a, you know, start doing the math on some of the stuff if you're cost conscious and you'll see some advantages too. Okay. And, you know, we always ask like what bow ratio, I see the Matthews hat there. So, I mean. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so what bow are you shooting uh, this year and what what's your setup? Yeah. I went with um, the V3X last year, bought that new. Um, we work with a, a pro shop out of Pennsylvania over by where Brian lives. and got that dialed in i also went no peep sight for the first time ever and i switched to a thumb release so i screwed it up i screwed everything up right about september 
uh, maybe August. And then I felt really good, man. That's a, that's a sharp shooting bow. I, I have it dialed down like 62 pounds. And that thing just, it's, it's a nice bow. I shot one doe with it. I broke her leg on the opposite shoulder. Very happy with my arrow and, and broadhead setup. And um, just a, a real sweet shooting bow. I've been a Matthews guy for a long time. Um, nothing against other bow companies. I just found what I liked a long time ago and haven't had a real reason to switch. So good, so, good solid shooting bow. So no peep sight. You were running like a nose button then? Or how? Sure. Are, yeah. Yes, sir. Yep. Um, the, the infamous... Uh, Bomar nose button. Yeah. Did you teach uh, him how to do uh like prescribed burns? Was that <laughs> is he one no. of your clients there? <laughs> no, I I I taught him how to illegally bait in other in other counties. No, all kidding aside. Um no, I think the nose button is helpful. And then the fact that you can take that thumb release and put your your fingers against your jawbone, kind of two points of contact. I was gonna add a kisser and I still might. I was just getting used to it and seeing how I could do it. And you shoot enough times, this repetition. I was very comfortable with it. I hit that doe great. And um, I, I passed the buck October 10th or 11th. It was getting close to dark, and I hadn't shot a deer with that bow yet. And it was the biggest deer I saw all year at, at 24 yards. Um, I I just didn't feel it, so I didn't pull the trigger. Hindsight being 2020 and the amount that I shot, Leading up to season, I probably would have been great, but I just I don't know. I was questionable, so I didn't I didn't pull the trigger. But that that bow and that no peep, um, my eyes are getting crummy when it's getting that that dusk time. I I don't know. I thought I had pretty good eyes, but it's getting tough to see and that peep, and it's just I don't know. So that's kind of helping me with the no peep. Jared Scheffler at at Tethered, he went that way, and I saw his video, and boom, I I went right after it and tried it. It's not. It seems counterproductive but i shoot at 40 50 yards doing fine so that was kind of a, a big deal but i do like i do like that bow what bow are you shooting these days so i'm uh, again from that like uh budget conscious side yeah. um i'm still shooting uh botech carbon zion okay. and uh i went through a few different uh iterations of that bow i mean that's the carbon icon Basically, it's just updated, like the smallest little tweak in the riser, uh, okay. but it's the same from the Carbon Knight. And uh, years ago at ATA, I shot all the bows like back to back to back and like a carbon bow for 600 bucks. Um, and I got, I actually ended up shooting the Carbon Deploy uh, at that time. And I, cause I got one for like 400 bucks and I toted that thing, you know, over a hundred miles and in Idaho, like not in one season, but in one trip. And it just, it does everything that I need it to do. And, you know, I mean, last year we bought John a brand new V3X and, you know, what, 1300 bucks or something. And then you got to put, you know, components on it and all that. And it, I don't, I don't know. I, I can shoot any bow that I want to. And, I just like to have that little thing like, oh, Matthew's guys, huh? Like, I'll just shoot whatever. <laughs> like, I I got a Bear Alaskan from um, from Bear last year, um, and I think I shot a turkey with it, um, and John was trying to shoot a turkey with it too. Um, but that bow's a really nice shooting bow for, 
500 bucks and you know for if you know if you want uh you know look at these new tree stands that are 500 600 if you want to buy a saddle setup you know we were just at the harrisburg show like you want to buy everything stick stand everything thousand bucks so you know when you're like well these new bows come out and you know now when you look at new expedition bow like two grand you know you want a carbon stealth from pse two grand it's like well we we were killing deer with yard sale bows when we were you know 14 years old or you know however and what's really changed like they're faster they shoot nicer there's you know less you know they're way more efficient but at the same time like do you need a new bow every single year do you need uh, you know what what makes that bow so much better you know it's it's hard and like for me my bow is like older technology so it's easy for john to work on it like you know he doesn't it doesn't take so much I don't know, time, a couple twists here because you can't do anything to it. You know, you just the weight, just the draw length, a couple twists here, we'll get it tuned up. You know, there it's it's kind of uh, easy. So for me, that side of it is, you know, this year I hunted probably more um, off the ground than I did in a tree. And I had a blast and I hunted the entire late season with a longbow on the ground, well, I, w- I did climb a tree one time just because I kept getting busted on the ground. So I decided I'd try and, but it, it was just so much fun. And we love gear, but at the end of the day, the gear doesn't make us better hunters. It just gives us more excuses. It gives us something to focus on instead of figuring out like what we're doing wrong. So like, my bow is like the least of my worries. Like I know I can shoot. And when you, you talk to a lot of these guys, um, you know, as we do, there are like two camps. There's guys that my bow shoots good enough. Like, why do I need a new one? I like this arrow. I like this broadhead and I'm going to spend the rest of my time and money scouting, traveling to other States, doing all this stuff. And then you got guys that are like, I need this particular arrow and the latest and greatest stuff. And they just do the same thing with hunting every single time. And then the guys that listen or the guys that are like me or the guys that are shoot at my club, you know, we overanalyze everything and we don't spend enough time in the woods or, you know, we spend too much time on YouTube instead of like going out and scouting or making these improvements that actually, move the needle and that's where i'm trying to bridge that gap you know <laughs> i get it and you'd be you'd be better off scouting instead of worrying about the next new bow i can tell you that for sure i and my last bow was a matthews no cam from like 2017 or something i bought from a guy for like 300 bucks with a rest on it shot that for years so i, I get it man if you just be confident in your setup is, is what's most important i think and and yeah go scout more <laughs> no no question there yeah and you know that you know when we started the podcast and we talked to like trent fisher you know and he's like buy tags don't buy gear like and you know you 
there's there's a there's a baseline of stuff that you need. Um, but I think it kind of transitions good like over into the the habitat stuff because that's what I look at from a like like don't worry so much about what everybody else has. Worry about what you have and how you can make that work better for you. And if that if you're that ten acre guy, if you're that twenty acre guy, like do whatever you can to maximize that property to give you like what you want out of it. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Do, do something. Get started. We have plenty of guys with eight, 10 acre parcels, you know, get out there and and make yourself some better, some better habitat and better hunting. If you have questions, you know, just reach out to, to people. And, and there's a lot of guys willing to help out there. I think, um, if you can, have the best property around or just one that's better than everybody else's around you're already two steps in the right direction right doesn't have to cost you much money so if people do then want to reach out to you where how do they go about doing that and where can they follow along with like all of your comings and goings sure i appreciate that well you have my number so anybody wants to reach out to adam you know how to get a hold of him um, all, all my stuff's over at habitatpodcast.com, Habitat Podcast on iTunes or, or Apple, all that stuff. Um, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. So, yeah, we're, we're here to help. We're, we're learning along the way like everybody else is. We're not trying to be the end-all, be-all, know-it-all, do what we do and, or don't do anything else. It's not us. We're, we're here to learn with everybody else. And um, if you want to learn and, and try to throw the odds better in your favor get a hold of us we'll help you out awesome well i really appreciate you taking the time sitting down with me and you know let's face it we're talking about stuff that we love so it's not that big of a deal but i appreciate the time i'm glad you texted me this week thank you it's great to talk to you again and we'll get you on our show soon yeah yeah thanks jared Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.